0: My backlog second weekly podcast, where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is Sam.
1: I don't mean to alarm you, but there seems to be some sort of oil like substance on the floor that might be dangerous.
0: It might be, or it could just be a leak. Hard to know. This week, We watch the Next Generation episodes, Skin of Evil, and We'll Always Have Paris. But first, but first, before we discuss those episodes, Sam, do you want to tell our listeners what else we watched this week?
1: Well, we caught up on the good fight. Yeah. Finished She-Hulk just a little while ago. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Working on Andor. Yeah. Going to be talking about evil. On uh, the pod next time we record.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Let me see. Um, We watched Mexican Week of the Great British Bake Off.
0: That was something.
1: Wow, that was something. That was bad. Let's see. What else? Archer just finished the last season of Archer. Yeah, we did. That was very good. We
0: did. That was a good season.
1: As, a, as always. Know, and I'll tell you, too. It, so here's the thing about Archer, right? You know who my favorite character is, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's clearly Cheryl.
1: Right. And and I just love the energy she brings. And and you know, the thing about it is, is like what would be really great is if we had another animated show with a character who kind of had similar energy.
0: That would be kind I of interesting. Would in, I would yeah. enjoy
1: that. I would enjoy that. Well, we watch John Oliver. Well, but we that's do that's always been Yeah. True. We
0: always watch we always watch John Oliver every Monday.
1: Mm. And Bob's burgers. Seasons yes. started back, and of course, Grey's Anatomy. I think those are
0: one of those seasons is going better <laughs> than the other one.
1: You have a good formula. You just have to go back to it. Yeah. You no. Know?
0: What else did we watch this week, uh, I
1: don't know. I I think that was, was it. Was that
0: it? Was that all the things think, we watched this week?
1: I, I, I think that might be it.
0: You didn't watch a animated show that exists in the same universe as TNG.
1: I don't think Archer's in the same universe. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's how that works.
0: Dear listeners, we started Star Trek Lower Decks this week. We have watched the first five episodes Second Contact, Envoice, Temporal Edict, Moist Vessel, and Cupid's Errant Arrow. Sam, how have you been feeling about Star Trek Lower Decks so far? It's fine. You say with a huge smile on your face. Oh, I know
1: you just hate it when I say something's fine. The best part of this is is Mariner. Yes. She's the yeah. You love her. She is the energy I I would put into the world what's not to love. Like I said, it's that it's that Cheryl energy. The you're not my supervisor energy. Yes. yes. She's
0: got a lot of that going on. Right. Especially kinda, since her
1: mom is her supervisor. Yes.
0: <laughs> Which that is another Archer tie-in. It yeah, is. it is another Archer tie-in. What
1: if Cheryl I really miss her. What if Cheryl was Archer's half brother and they find that out?
0: That would be a weird twist, but be... I would I would accept it.
1: Yeah, but that would mean that the big cat is now Archer's sibling as well. Yeah. And he would love he that. He would
0: love that. He would love that. Mariner reminds me of like a more self-sabotaging Captain Kirk. Like she's really competent But she's really bad at following rules. Mm -hmm. But she's really good at thinking on the fly. Mm -hmm. Using that instinct Mm -hmm. that she's got. Mm -hmm. But unlike Kirk, who keeps getting promoted despite despite the fact that he keeps flipping off Starfleet every once in a while. She has been demoted, we find out. And that's because she has a problem with authority. Does
1: that mean that... You know, we we talk about the elements of Star Trek that are utopian and the ones that aren't. I have a hard time believing that in a utopian society, white men continue to fail upward.
0: I don't think that's what it is. I think that Mariner from the first five episodes, granted, not much of the season, but from the first five episodes, it seems like she wants to be on the lower decks. Like she doesn't want the responsibility of command because she could have it like she's not ambitious because she could clearly do the job, mm-hmm. but she's choosing not to. And in fact, she seems very intent on staying where she is.
1: This is clearly an instance of the person most suited for leadership is the one least interested in it. Right. Like, which which is a direct parallel to Bradward.
0: Yes. <laughs> Boimler. Yeah. Bradward. Bradward. We just watched the episode where we found out his name is Bradward, and of course Mariner uses the rest of the episode to just shout Bradward at Bradward. him. Bradward,
1: I hope she never stops. <laughs> I would never, as as we know, with with people who have been on this podcast. I don't use reality; I just make up names that sound like that.
0: Yeah, but that's like, his actual that,
1: name. That is the joke that I live on, right? Losbert. Losbert.
0: Yes. Benethy. That was another one. That
1: was yeah. That that might have been the first time I did that. Yeah. Benethy never quite did nobody has ever quite self owned themselves the way he did that's at true. our first meeting. that's so. <laughs> true. And all I did was call it out.
0: I thought you were so mean. I didn't know you at that point. Yeah. That was the first time I met you, you too. Yeah. You were so mean to him.
1: Well, you know, the thing said, put in the appointment date and he put in his birthday date, his date of birth
0: <laughs> but did and, you have to make fun of him in front of all which, the other cohorts
1: I mean ah oh, his birthday was just a few days ago oh, happy
0: birthday Ben oh Benethy.
1: anyway you thought I was mean and and I believe that I was morally and ethically obligated to do the sick burn uh, uh, like yeah, I I I, I I think I was I, I
0: well knowing your relationship with him over the years it makes sense now but at the time it seemed unnecessarily cruel
1: it did it did those of you who know me you know like there was this brief time period where i tried to like open up my personality and mixed results yeah mixed results but yeah a little bit of the the mariner came through yeah at the beginning of that yeah
0: what do you think about boimler bradward
1: I don't like him, but I'm not supposed, supposed to. to. Well, no, you are supposed to like him because he's supposed to be one of those people that you can't help but like in spite of themselves, which is why Mariner likes him. Right. Right. They're besties. For some reason.
0: Yeah. She's very invested in his welfare in episode five. I when know. he thinks When she thinks that he's dating a parasite, which, by the way, the flashback for that is horrifying. Yeah. What do you think about Tendi? Who is a listener favorite.
1: I I like Tendi and Rutherford. I like the characters who are always on the side quests, like the buddy team. Yeah. That's fun. That's a fun dynamic. I like that they're both hyper competitive. And, and
0: perfectionist in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I
1: enjoy that. That's- but they're
0: not like so similar that they feel like the same character. Like no. they feel like characters who have a lot in common. No. But they also like bring out different parts of their personalities.
1: Right. I think well, I there's a lot
0: of good character work on this show.
1: Well, I think, that, I think the big difference between the two of them is that Tendi is motivated by external validation. Mm-hmm. I think Rutherford is more mm-hmm. internal.
0: Right. So I actually find this interesting because there is a parallel to Star Wars. Do you want to hear it?
1: Coming in December, the 11 days of Star Wars.
0: <laughs> so the Orions, which is the species that Tendi is in TOS are sort of this like hypersexualized. they're kind of depicted always as like slave girls. There's a lot of like Orientalism going on because there's a lot of like belly dancing and stuff. They g- get called pirates at one point, like they're either sex slaves or they're pirates. It kind of reminds me of the way that the Twi'lek mm-hmm. are depicted in early Star Wars, right? In the original trilogy, we usually see them in that capacity. It's usually women Twi'lek, but when you get to rebels, we get to see a different side of that species through Hera, right? Who is very much not that in a lot of ways. And to me, Tendi is supposed to be that character for the Orion, right? Like she's not; she's part of Starfleet. She's not a sex worker or a slave, right? But I'm sure. She, I'm sure. I hope this show is willing to engage with like the stereotypes about this community.
1: As you're as you're explaining this. I can't help but think of something from Wayne's World, which you have not seen. But anybody who's seen that and is listening, this one has a side shave.
0: Okay. <laughs> I will just, that's
1: a, that's a Pac-Man joke. I will it's accept don't that worry about I it. don't
0: know that reference. What was your favorite moment in the first five episodes?
1: I mean, when Boimler enters the mess hall and Mariner just like you see her like stealth parkouring behind him. <laughs>
0: That's in the most recent episode, right? Yeah. The uh, Cupid's Errant Arrow? Yes. Are you looking forward to watching more? Yes. Okay. All right, then. Let's On talk- On to the oil slick. Yeah, let's talk about The Next Generation.
1: So... I don't know why we watched this episode. It doesn't really feel like anything of note happened. I'm not sure why we watched well, it. I know. like yeah. Nothing
0: series changing. No. So, Skin of Evil, which is the first episode we watched, it's the 23rd episode of the first season. They were really cranking out episodes, right? Like, this is a super-sized season.
1: We used to live in a proper society where people made actual seasons.
0: It originally aired on April 25th, 1988. The story premise was written by Joseph Stefano, and the screenplay was rewritten by Hannah Louise Shearer, who also wrote the last episode we watched. The episode was directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. I think that the other thing that we can really see in this season is that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. All these stories are, like, rewritten several times, which kind of hints at a tumultuous situation in the writing room, which is apparently what was happening. So, quick summary. The Enterprise investigates a distressed call from one of their shuttles containing Counselor Troy. They track the shuttle to a planet where it has crashed, but when they try to retrieve Troy, they come face-to-face with a mysterious creature who holds her hostage.
1: I think face-to-face is a very <laughs> strong description of what actually happens. It
0: kind of takes on a face, sort I of. Know,
1: sort of, but not initially. Right. He's a- they, they really come face-to-puddle. And also, I want to walk back what I said about we used to be a proper society that made seasons that long. I mean, that is, I guess, really dependent on your point of view. If we were in we were in England, this would be equivalent to like four series.
0: So, uh, Can you
1: imagine if Star Trek was a BBC sh- uh, show?
0: Like Doctor Who?
1: I almost tenanted and said BBC. <laughs> Can you imagine?
0: No, I can't. I honestly can't.
1: It's like Doctor Who but Star Trek.
0: I don't even know what that would look like. I, don't know. I, I honestly don't know what that would look like. I can't what's, even imagine it. What's it's the, unimaginable.
1: Okay. Well, here's the the question, though. What's the difference between a tricorder and a sonic screwdriver? Both of them seem to be magic science.
0: Yeah, no, that's magic science.
1: Right. But that's just
0: sci-fi. Sci-fi is full of magic science. Sure. Ask somebody who actually hacks how long it takes to hack something. (laughs) 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 Let's address the fridge in the room.
1: It got chilly in this episode. It got chilly in this Uh. episode.
0: So Tasha Yar, who was a series regular, she was supposed to be on the show. She was throughout
1: the rest of the season, too. Yeah, she's
0: listed as a main character in the credits. She dies in this episode, and she doesn't even die at the end. She dies at the very beginning.
1: are a real thing. Uh,
0: Basically, this death was in response to Denise Crosby, who asked to be let out of her contract. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of rumors circulating her departure, but she later described her time on Star Trek The Next Generation as miserable, and it was well known that she was unhappy with the way that her role had been developed. She didn't think that they were giving her enough to do, right. which they weren't. She did say later in a in an interview that if she had had more scenes like the one at the beginning of the episode where she shares that like dialogue with Worf, you know, about where he's like you're going to win at this martial art thing and you know like all of that stuff, she said she wouldn't have wanted to leave the show if they made more scenes for her right. like that.
1: I mean, they gave Picard a fencing room they could have given them a judo room right this reminds me of two things both of which you you know in my head this reminds me of sherry stringfield from er yes that's exactly And so i would call this the stringfield but since this happened first what sherry stringfield did was the crosby the other one is this reminds me of poochie right when (laughs) when poochie left the show to return to his home planet and died
0: yeah that's basically what happened here I mean, does this feel kind of retaliatory? Because like you can write characters off Star whoa, whoa, Trek whoa, whoa, fairly whoa, 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 easily. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! Showrunners and showwriters never, never ever in the history of TV, particularly in the history of less Moonves, Paramount, and CBS, they <laughs> would never, past, present, future. Nothing would happen related to anything that Alex Kurtzman has anything to do with. How dare you besmirch Star Trek and Paramount? How dare you?
0: It would be very easy to write any character off of a Star Trek show without killing them. Like, it would just be so easy. They could literally be transferred to another ship. They could literally be transferred back to Earth. They could decide to stay with some people that they met and help them out. There are numerous things that you could have done to write this character off, and instead you have her death be at the beginning of the episode with a really middle of the road villain. And the worst part. That is, is
1: classically where you do find oil puddles yes, in the, middle of, in a the road, middle of a road. Or, you know, in your driveway, in your garage. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much.
0: The worst part to me is, is that not only did they decide to just kill this character off, which feels like a way of saying, fine, we'll kill your character and you could never come back.
1: Which, first of all, that's not true. Right.
0: We know that that's not true. But the worst part for me is that when asked, Gene Roddenberry was the one who came up with the idea of her dying suddenly at the beginning of the episode because he thought that it would be in line with her life as a security officer, that like... There would be people who would just randomly die during excursions, which we've seen before, but never a main character.
1: I don't know about you, but I think in retrospect, if my security officer is like, Ooh, let me try and step over and see what happens. Leroy Jenkins, I'm dead. I wouldn't, I in retrospect, I'd be like, I don't, I'm glad that person's not a security officer anymore because I do not feel secure.
0: It just didn't feel like the character, though. No. How do you feel about this death?
1: Well, I kind of knew it was coming. I don't. I didn't say anything, listen. I know. I don't really care much for this character, mostly because she had nothing to do. So, eh. You know what this reminds me of? What? The girl from the first season of Stranger Things, Barb. Everybody thought there's going to be payoff, there's going to be justice for Barb. No, they just killed her. Because again, nobody does this. I'm sure I could come up with other examples of a thing nobody's done if I tried real hard.
0: Anyway, people find this very upsetting, is all I'm trying to say. Like oh, it is very infamous within the Star Trek community, yeah. this particular death.
1: Well, I mean, you you know that I don't like what well, you know, to go back to Sherry Stringfield. Her character was about to spoilers, by the way, if you haven't gotten to the part where Sherry Stringfield's not on the show anymore, and she definitely never comes back.
0: Ever. You can't see that. (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting is a visual medium. Sam just winked at the microphone.
1: (laughs) Anyway, spoiler alert. They were just about to actually hook her and Mark up.
0: Right. Right? I do remember that. Now,
1: I mean, further spoiler alert. Like, I come on. Like, you... Uh, I won't say it. Never mind. No spoiler past that. But they had plans. The writers had plans. And they had to abort those plans because of a behind the scenes issue. No, I don't like that.
0: Well, it happened in Lost too, right? Where they killed two So many times characters so because they had gotten in times. trouble yes. in this with the state of Hawaii.
1: Yeah. Well, poor Letty. She gets killed off franchises a lot. A lot, if you think yeah. About but they it.
0: brought her back in the main one
1: you know you can really bring back anybody if you if you wish hard enough so (laughs) i'm just saying this
0: you could do it you could do it i I
1: am in principle unhappy with this as i am always unhappy with this but eh.
0: but you don't care enough about the character because you weren't given anything to care about so uh, I'm going to skip ahead before we talk about the main part of the episode. The other big part of the episode with her, of course, is the funeral at the end on the holodeck, which is a weird funeral. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It was weird. I Spock's funeral made more sense than this funeral Do bit.
1: they all record funeral messages? Do they have variations? Do they have like... Is
0: it fill in the blank? <laughs> <laughs> Mad lips?
1: Insert this tape if I died by immolation. <laughs> <laughs> Put this one in if I get subsumed by an oil monster. <laughs> Play this one if I die from old age. Just kidding. This one doesn't exist. <laughs> it's just free bird.
0: <laughs> it's like they wanted this to be emotional for the crew, and the crew are obviously very moved, but yeah. we as a as a viewer, are less moved than the crew are, which I think makes this a genuine fridging, actually, because most of the crew are men. She has a message for everybody. But the one that that gets me the most as a fan, I think, is Data's reaction. Because you do get this really interesting moment between him and Picard when everyone's kind of wandering off, when he says, like, I don't think I I got the point of this because I'm not really thinking about her. I'm thinking about myself and how I'm going to go on without her. And Picard says, you've got it. You you understand.
1: Very, very few, not none, but I think very few Irish wakes end with the dead body getting drunk too.
0: Right. (laughs) Again,
1: I know it's happened, but not often.
0: (laughs) Please (laughs) stop winking at the microphone.
1: It's fine until it winks back. Don't worry.
0: Like, what did you think about Data's reaction here? He's also the last one to leave the holodeck. Like, he seems like he like hangs out there for a while next yeah. to her fake grave. Just
1: he just wants to be part of it.
0: It's like he constantly is looking for external validation for the way he thinks about things. Like, is this right?
1: Yeah. That's who he is.
0: Let's talk <laughs> about the actual title of the episode, Skin of Evil. So the villain that kills Tasha is Armas. Who is sadistic and cruel and like keeps advertising himself as like pure evil. And we find out that his origin story is that a race of beings literally found out how to purge evil from themselves, like medically. <laughs> And the evil all floated to the top of their skin and they shed it and then they left. Like they were like, "Okay, we're 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 leaving our evil behind. And they never
1: and they never had combination skin ever. again. there was no excess oil. Blackheads just disappeared. I mean, it was great.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was for them, but it's almost like if Jekyll had somehow figured out how to detach Hyde from himself and Mm -hmm. then left him on a planet. Mm hmm. He's evil. He's like supposed to be this inc- incarnation of pure evil, but he's also sad?
1: Is that, you know, it's funny you you mentioned if if Jekyll had abandoned Hyde. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a reverse Frankenstein? Yeah. The creature is Jekyll and Victor's the actual evil one? I can yeah, see that. I think that's in line with what we talked about last yeah, week. That yeah, that is in line with that. It's a reverse this. <laughs> Such a bad episode. I mean, I think the only thing really of note to say about this is this is a villain who gets therapied. Yeah, by like Troy. Troy best. tries to deploy
0: therapy <laughs> against him. Yeah.
1: It's, I will defeat you with the power of therapy.
0: I will say that the scene where she's like, because she's trapped in the shuttle for most of the episode. Right. And the scene where it's like taunting her mm-hmm. about Tasha and she's like, I know, I felt her die. Like I yeah. feel like that was a pretty sad. Like that was almost more sad than the actual moment where she died. Right. Like for for me anyway.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually really great. Not only was she fridged, she was fridged while trying to save the damsel in distress.
0: Right. Who is? Deanna, it's a bit of as a hat. usual,
1: it's it's it, it. In terms of like anti-feminist tropes, it is a bit of a hat on a hat. It, it what is. happens in this episode? <laughs> and I, then and then Crusher tripped and fell and broke her nose, and she was worried that she'd never be pretty again.
0: That would have been that's the, pretty, the, pretty much the, the only threat. thing that yeah. was missing. I did find it interesting because we talked about Data and in the Data Lore episode when Picard refers to as it, and Data says, "Okay, you referring to." him as it implies that you think that he's a thing, and then do you also think of me as an it? And we have that whole conversation. This conversation actually weirdly comes up again with Armis because Armis objects to the use of the it pronoun when it comes to him because like he he has very strong opinions about gender and the use of an it pronoun
1: <laughs> All I all I can think of is she hulk right now. Like, oh, you care so much about gender. That's why you call them all females.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, it's a little strange that this villain is supposed mm. to be like the hide. All of the evil of this yep. race condensed into one thing. Yep. But we're also supposed to feel sad for him. We're also supposed to like feel like calling in, him an it is wrong. Like, to me, this seems very, I don't know what the point of this is. Even bad guys love their mamas. Like, that's the closest I can get to it, which is a great line. But I feel like that movie did a better job of this than this.
1: This is not a good episode.
0: Fair. The last thing I wanted to say is, of course, our best friend squad update. Mm -hmm. Data, Will, and Jordy all beam down to the surface together. Will get snatched for a while and apparently tortured by Armis don't get to see that. But there is a scene because Armis seems very interested in tormenting Data especially, calling him tin man and like saying oh they don't respect you, they don't like you, all of these things. But then there's this really very uncomfortable sequence where Armis pulls off jordy's visor and then like makes him like crawl around looking for it. And when Data tries to help him, Armis is like no, you can't help him. Like, I'll kill him if you help him. And Data actually tells Armas, I won't help you hurt him. Which I just think is a very interesting, very sweet, like, best friend thing. And I think it also shows that Data is a moral person, if not a feeling person.
1: Yeah. We still have not watched the last episode of Picard Season (laughs) 2. Did that stop us from watching the Season 3 trailer? No, no. <laughs> so you brought up lore, so that was what reminded me, and I just thought that, okay, mm-hmm, you. So I know Data's not around anymore, right? Right in the in the Picard world, I know that. Why, sort of, whatever. They brought Spiner back as the great great grand nephews cousins three times removed (laughs) brother of the person who created the tech that created data. Right. Right. And then in season two, they had the great time sevens, former roommate of the guy (laughs) who created the tech who create that created data when they had his evil twin the whole time. And I didn't know that. So I just want to retroactively say idiots, fools. Who is writing this show? (laughs) What is wrong with you?
0: I mean, I think a lot of people would ask those questions.
1: Not to mention, you mean to to say that there's no way to reanimate Data?
0: I think that it's because Spiner is not interested in playing Data anymore. Oh, but, but
1: he's willing to play Lore.
0: Right, but it seems really strange to me that he's willing to play all of these, like, evil versions of, like, is, himself or his creators, but not this is Data. Pe-
1: this is not. This I is want my not. best friend squad. back. I know. Well, we've got six more seasons of this show. <laughs> we'll and several be. movies. Suck it, community. It's you true. only got one.
0: The, our next episode is the very next episode, the 24th episode of the first season. We'll always have Paris, which first aired on May 2nd, 1988. The story and script were both created by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer. Again, very recognizable name the episode was directed by robert becker the enterprise experiences some time distortions which lead them to a distant system to find a renegade scientist bringing picard face to face with an old flame
1: i do have thoughts about this
0: Ooh,
1: i have thoughts you ready i'm ready all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray
0: were you surprised to see Michelle Phillips in a Star Trek I, I
1: was. I was.
0: She was apparently a huge fan and had been like trying to guest star for a while.
1: She has a rich inner life, I guess.
0: Did she act in anything else?
1: I'm sure she did. I don't know.
0: I, I, I actually didn't look that up. I would be interested in knowing. But there, that's not the only recognizable face. We also get Rod Loomis as Paul Mannheim, which is great because you made so many Bill and Ted references while oh, watching yeah. this episode. Rod Loomis is the one who plays Freud in Bill and Ted. Yeah,
1: Freud.
0: So, so you you get that as well. This is not the only reference to Casablanca in Star Trek as well as the title of the episode and the love triangle in the story, the Blue Parrot Cafe from the film is directly mentioned by Picard at the end. They're going to a planet to do R&R, and he says there's this really good bar there, the Blue Parrot Cafe, which, by the way, this feels like the first time he's ever actually joined them for drinks.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're trying to get cool dad boss to hang out with you, and he never will. Yeah, and then one day he does. And it's weird, but it's also cool Yeah,
0: because, yeah, for most of the season, he seems very like it's like they wanted him to be professional. And then they realized that if they did that too much, he wouldn't ever interact with the other characters. Mm -hmm. So this seemed to be the episode where he really gets to, like, loosen up and actually, like, interact with people on a personal level.
1: It's fun that this is loosening up. Yeah, it's still. Yeah.
0: But the other uh, mentions of Casablanca in Star Trek are also there's an original series novel, The Entropy Effect, which is loosely based on Casablanca, and there's another episode, uh, Deep Space Nine episode called Profit and Loss, which has a lot of Casablanca themes in it. I'm not sure if that's been covered by Podwraiths yet. I'll have to look that up. So the main thing is obviously the Picard Janice Mannheim love triangle, which does operate on this Casablanca storyline.
1: I mean, I've seen that movie multiple times. I'm not really sure I would have picked up on it, sadly.
0: Except for the title is what
1: you're saying. No, I... You would, didn't even no, think about it when you heard the title? No. Well, this is somebody who like names things... Th- me. I'm talking about me. This is somebody who names things using pop culture references that are just throwaway references. Right. That is something I'm very familiar with. So it was... That is not where my head went.
0: Where did your head go?
1: Uh, Well, it didn't go anywhere in terms of pop culture. It was just, oh, look, Picard had a life at some point. Had a
0: life before the Enterprise. That's
1: neat. Well, and it's also, I I think the thing to take away from it, I'm trying to remember the flashback in, in Casablanca. I'm trying to remember how he managed to mess that up.
0: He didn't. He was like waiting for her at the train station. She didn't come, cause she just right. she just found out her husband was still alive.
1: Right. Okay. So that's that what, that was
0: the big betrayal. He thought he had. She had right. just never shown up. But the whole point was is that she couldn't show up.
1: Right. And so, I mean, they they kind of referenced that. But guess what? Except I'm,
0: for he was Ilsa, and she was right. Bogart's character.
1: Except it's not exactly that because. Like I said, I was trying to think about what happened to mess it up in the movie. And as you say, there's nothing really in terms of character Like He didn't mess it up like Picard did in here. Right. Picard actually cops to being afraid. And that's something.
0: As much as I didn't like Picard season two. Picard season two asked a very interesting question at the beginning of the season, which they never answered. I mean, they might in the last episode, I don't know. But this question a,
1: it feels like so yeah, long I ago. Know. What was the question? The question
0: was why can't Picard make personal romantic oh, relationships right. work?
1: He, that, that, the woman, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so shame they didn't do anything with it.
0: I know. I mean, I think the point was is that he has mommy issues. I think maybe that was the answer. But Picard as a character apparently just can't get it together. Like he's either too scared or he's too repressed. I mean, he does have relationships with people, but maybe they never he seem has, to work out. You
1: know, I think I might know what this is. And yeah. it's and, it, and I think it would explain this, and I think it would explain something that really bothers you. Okay. I feel like maybe this inability that you're mentioning is is an inferiority complex. Okay. As a, as a person of French descent who apparently has no discernible French accent. <laughs> Even
0: though everyone maybe, in the holodeck program does. Right,
1: maybe he just feels less than, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone in that holodeck program like, speaks with French accents and he doesn't. Because
1: his home is like the most stereotypical French thing that you could, I mean, like the only thing more stereotypical than growing up on a vineyard in France would be if your house was made of baguettes. <laughs> and it was like a room in the Eiffel Tower.
0: <laughs> oh man. I, mean, I just I was interested when they asked that question in the first episode of Picard season 2. But then we just never really did anything with it. We actually get some confirmation on this whole will they won't they Crusher Picard situation because at one point yeah. Troy actually looks in on Beverly and it's like are you okay and she's like I don't want to talk about it I can't compete with a ghost from his past and Deanna's like she's not a ghost and Beverly says she he doesn't see her he sees the girl that he left right what did you think about that I mean this is the first time we've actually heard it like not be subtext sort of
1: (laughs) yeah I I think that's funny that I mean I took it in the pilot episode as at face value Right, like I was not looking for a subtext because I didn't believe there was any. Mm-hmm. I I think that I think that if you go, I'm going to say this and I'm going to be wrong, but my recollection of that pilot episode is there is not implied. The text is that they have a complicated relationship, right? And I am here to tell you, friends, men and women can have complicated relationships that aren't romantic or sexual. Yes. It doesn't happen often. I think it's a difficult needle to thread. It's very rare, but it does happen. And so that's what I thought. Okay. So I did not see this as subtext being made text. I saw this as, ooh, surprise. Why aren't they together?
0: Because Picard can't make stuff work. That's
1: sad. Maybe they'll get together because of their history. Because of their history. They could still do, they could still it could still happen. Could still happen. It could still happen. It could still happen.
0: It's really weird how this story actually starts because we have this time disturbance, which I want to talk about the time stuff in a minute. But we have this time disturbance, and then they're like, oh, this person, Paul Mannheim, maybe he's the one doing it. And Picard just has this like really weird reaction. And Troy immediately makes him talk about his personal life on the bridge. Like she does offer to like go somewhere else to talk about it, but this feels weirdly meddling, especially for a therapist to be like, I need to talk to you about your weird reaction you just had.
1: Yeah, it does feel weird. She was still recovering from the oil. Monster she wasn't hundred percent. Was, she was not at her best <laughs> on that day. I think it's weird that that half of Mannheim's steamroller became a scientist. <laughs> that I think that's weird.
0: The other thread in this is, of course, the time storyline. So right. they feel these distortions. They go to figure out what's going on. They find Mannheim on this distant planet with his wife. That's the whole personal thing. But the idea that like time he's trying to break through to other dimensions. Like he sees time and gravity as a way of moving through those walls, right? Between dimensions. So is this one, is this a multiverse thing or is this something else?
1: Well, you see.
0: (laughs) Give us another lecture, time travel doctor. Oh,
1: please don't. You're hurting me. You're hurting everybody else. (laughs) I think that first of all, you correctly brought up that this is very lost constant. And I, I think that I think the word constant even comes up. Yeah, because he episode.
0: talks about how he doesn't have anything to anchor him. Right. Because he's his mind is like go moving between right. dimensions and he says, so, I have nothing to anchor me here.
1: So here's the thing we are we have one more episode of Sam watches Star Trek after this. And then we're back to Tesla Watches Lost season five, and that's how we will end the year 2022. There is a lot of fun stuff coming in season five, but you're going to see the shift. Okay. So I think it's interesting that you brought up Lost because I think what they're talking about, the science that they want to deal with in this episode, or that it's not really science, it's a theory, not a scientific theory, just a half-assed theory, really. I think it comes very close to what they originally were doing on Lost. Okay. Right. And of course, they're not going to end there, and that's why it's bad, but the idea here is closer to what you see in Interstellar. Basically, what the future humans are able to do is manipulate that higher dimension, and that's what the Tesseract is at the end of the movie as we've talked about before, they are able to do this because they are one dimension up mm-hmm. and you can, you can understand and affect the dimensions underneath. This is reverse that where something else I've said, you cannot push your way through a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. You cannot anticipate what's going to happen after the paradigm shift. That is the nature of a paradigm shift. So what Mannheim is trying to do is what the future humans are doing with the Tesseract in Interstellar, but he can't. Right. So he breaks stuff.
0: Right, and he feels very broken too. Like so, he's He can't stay right. conscious in one dimension or the other.
1: Right, so this is not multiverse. This is not really even time travel. It's It's,
0: more like time distortions.
1: uh, Well, it's, it's, it's accidental. Accidental bad quantum physics. (laughs) I mean, that's really all it comes down to. I mean.
0: The part where they see themselves enter the turbo lift, like where they move in and then they see what just happened.
1: Yeah, we have to. Now, when this is all over, we have to go back and do these things. Or they won't happen, but, but they, they did, did happen. happen.
0: Guitar. No. <laughs> you actually said during this scene, "Don't wind, don't forget to wind your watch, dude."
1: I did say. You that. Did say that. Good for yeah. me.
0: What's going on here when this happens? I don't know. Okay.
1: I I don't know. There's no internal logic in this episode.
0: There's a good reason for that, which I definitely want to talk about too. The other things that I did find interesting is that uh, Picard asked Data to go down to the planet, to the lab, to turn off the thing, the time, that the rift or whatever, that is causing all these things to happen. Or he says to Picard, that makes sense. I'm a machine and therefore dispensable. Picard, of course, answers, you're indispensable. That's not why I'm asking you. I'm asking you because time is a constant to you while time is flexible to humans. And so data brings up this idea that humans actually, even though we can measure time and even though we can observe the effects of time, to humans, perception of time is almost as important as the thing itself. Because to us, we can, and this is very Terry Pratchett, because Terry Pratchett talks about this too, you can waste time. You can. Uh, is this uh,
1: an episode of Nanny Ogg's book club? Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, it's funny because in a couple of weeks, we're going to release Thief of Time, which is where a lot of this comes from. But like the idea that, like, uh, I think Data even says it, like a stitch in time saves nine. Like there's a lot of like these phrases, but it does actually, it feels right though, because there are times where an hour feels like it can go on forever. And then other times where it feels like three hours just like goes by really fast. So there is like this human perception element, I think.
1: I think two things about it. One, I think it ties in to the episode where we see from Jordy's point of view. Oh, yeah, and symbiosis. Uh, yeah, and and Data looks different. Right, he's got that aura around him. Well, I mean, that aura is one indication that that Data is like the future humans in Interstellar. Right, can perceive things a little bit differently. Now. That would be neat if they actually knew what they were doing with this character could handle it. This is like he is more than human when they want, and he is less than human when they want. Right. And he is just like human when they want. It's kind of like there's no consistency in this character.
0: I actually also thought of symbiosis because I was like, I wonder what the world actually does look like to Data. Like if they could do the same thing that they do with Geordi where they're like seeing the way he views the world. They're all puppets. They're all puppets. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say the part with the security at, at the lab is very silly because it gives us what you call action data, which is Brent, Brent Spiner rolling around.
1: I'm, I'm really fun to watch these episodes <laughs> with, aren't it's I?
0: true. Why do they need so much security on a distant planet where nobody knew where they were before the Enterprise tracked them down? I don't know.
1: Science reasons.
0: Tessa. <laughs> but we also get the timeless age-old classic antimatter is a magic bullet in sci-fi <laughs> where Data has to just dump a bunch of antimatter into this rift and it's just going to seal it up. What is antimatter? Why is it used so frequently as this like, oh, we'll just put antimatter on it?
1: I think it's, I think, it and you're joking, of course, but you're going to ask me person who right. doesn't understand these things really, and I just play with them in in a, in a more epistemological sense in terms of time right. travel. I don't know.
0: <laughs> How could Data tell it was the one in the middle?
1: He didn't. It was just you, a good guess. It was
0: just a good guess. Because, yeah, it's like at that moment where you see the three of them, and they're like, it has to be the right one. Is which one? And then the one in the middle is like, no, I'm the right one.
1: It was just more there, there.
0: That does not make sense.
1: You're right. To me. Sure. <laughs> I You're hate not it. the android. I
0: hate it when episodes of sci-fi pretend like they're smarter than they actually are. And I did get a little bit of that at the end of this episode. But a lot of the problems with this episode can actually be traced to the writer's strike. So there was a writer's strike in 88.
1: Always a writer's strike.
0: It was originally pitched by... The script was originally pitched by Hannah Louise Shearer and Deborah Dean Davis, like I said. But then the writer strike happened... Shearer and Davis tried to complete the script before the strike because they were trying to like get it done. Yeah. Um, so they completed it in five days, which is an incredibly short amount of time to turn around a script like this. But it, like the way they describe it, they're like, so we want to do like a story about a professor whose work wasn't appreciated and had to go off on his own. And then like Maurice Hurley, who was at this point, almost one of the showrunners wanted a story with a time anomaly. And so they were like, okay, I guess we'll just like shove these two ideas together and put sprinkle some Casablanca over the top. And they didn't find out until filming during the writer's strike that the scene with data shutting down the anomaly wasn't finished.
1: And I and as when we were talking about this episode, I said to you, This doesn't feel finished. Right. And then you told me this.
0: So like there's this really funny story of Rick Berman, Boo, calling Shearer and basically trying to convince her to finish writing the scenes but she was like I'm not a scab I don't cross picket lines and so they did this weird like telephone dance where Rick Berman would suggest lines to I don't remember who else was on the call with him but he'd suggest lines to them and then she would be like uh huh or no (laughs) this just seems so strange to me
1: this feels like you know the thing that's a real shame about this episode is it feels like like, if you had a podcast, I imagine, I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> if you had a podcast and you had like a really cool guest and then it was a bad episode, right? You feel like you've wasted Michelle the Phillips. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, except it's Michelle Phillips. So, Thing- Did we get Michelle Phillips? Is she still alive? I don't know. I
0: don't know. That was the other thing is that Shearer was really disappointed with this episode, I think because of all the issues surrounding it, but she also, for some reason, really didn't like the chemistry between Phillips and and Stewart, which I think is kind of unfair, and Michelle Phillips apparently also thought it was unfair. Who
1: is who is still alive?
0: She is still alive. Okay, so good. So can
1: we get her on the podcast?
0: I, Michelle Phillips, if you want to come on, okay, we will talk about this episode with you. Or any other episode of Star Trek. Just your favorite episode. Come on, we'll watch it with you. We'll we'll talk about it.
1: And and also, China, if you wanna come on, like with your mom or without, I don't care. It's fine. We definitely listened to some Wilson Phillips after the end of after we watched this episode. So Yeah, we did. Like, yeah. We did. It'd be great.
0: Apparently Michelle Phillips said that she was given too many contradictory instructions for this character she was like, you want to be a loving wife, but you also want to be excited to see Picard. And she was like, I can't navigate those two things. Like, you have, to, you have to give me something here to go with. But they were just like, no, we can't have you be like cheating on your husband. Like, you have to love your husband. But you also have to kind of be in love with Picard. Like, I think that Michelle Phillips and Stewart actually, I think, do pretty well in this. Yeah. But I do think that because the episode is so half-baked, they're just not really given a lot of direction as to their character.
1: As as I hear you say all that out loud, I can't help but think, you're in love. That's the way it should be. Because I want you to be happy. You're in love. And I know that you're not in love with me. Ooh, it's enough for me to know that you're in love. Now I let you go. China Phillips. Come on the pod. Bring <laughs> Please your mom.
0: Come on the pod. We also get Best Friend Squad update. At one point, Data has to lean over and ask Jordy about the intricacies of what's happening with Picard. And Geordie responds, You got it, Data. <laughs> Which is great.
1: You got it, dude. You got it, uh, dude. Oh, it's good times. I can't believe we're almost through the majority of the first season episodes that we watched.
0: Yeah, we only have two more left. I know. Oh, are you going to miss it? Are you hooked on the show?
1: Join us in December for the 11 days of Star Wars.
0: Join us next week for our discussion of the episodes Conspiracy and The Neutral Zone, the first season finale of The Next Generation. You can find me on Twitter at Paradox and Sam at Sam underscore Morris9. Until next time, live long and prosper.